Welcome to Healthcare Experience Matters. This podcast is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation and is dedicated to transforming the healthcare experience so that every person can receive and deliver the best care. We invite you to learn more by visiting healthcareexperience.org. All right, welcome back. And I want to introduce everyone to uh, Mark Rooley. You've heard Mark present in some of our earlier sessions. Mark is the president of the Maryland Healthcare Education Institute. He's going to be leading us through building block number four, impacting compassion in the organization. So I'm going to turn it over to Mark. Oh, thank you so much, Lindley. And thank you all for, for sticking with us. And I'm real happy to be able to do the block number four, which is about the organization in the sense that now we're talking at at the bigger level, at the higher level, and what can we do in our organization and not only what we can do, but what should we be doing in our organization? And I'd like to start off by provoking a little bit of thought here. And by that, I mean, let me frame the discussion around organizations so you get a a sense of, we don't have to talk about everything uh, regarding the organization. But almost all of us have worked in organizations since the time we began working. And if, if you are an entrepreneur, then maybe you have a little bit different experience, um, you know, working for yourself. But we know about organizations and we know about our organization. And sometimes if we've been there for a long time, it's, it's hard to see outside of our organization. We get kind of locked in. We get very focused into this is our organization and this is what it is and this is how it works in this organization. And we don't necessarily question where it comes from. And so in discussing compassion and compassionate leadership, I think we need to ground ourselves a little bit in the knowledge about how we got to the place where we're at in our organizations. And so I'm gonna do a quick history lesson. It won't take long, I, I promise, for those of you who dislike history. At least it's not math, right? Modern organizations were born out of essentially the Industrial Revolution. So we're talking about the late 1700s, the early 1800s in Europe, and then over into the United States when we started really using organizations in order to convey work and to make work happen. Now, interestingly enough, and if you listen to the people who discuss organizations, you will find out that our organizations haven't changed a whole lot since that time. Now, right now, here we are doing Zoom. So in one sense, yeah, they've changed a whole lot. Um, But in another sense, when you think about we get up in the morning or in the afternoon, the evening, we go to a brick mortar building, we work with a group of other people, all of those kinds of things were thought about 100 years ago, 200 years ago. And here's the problem. And I just heard this um, in in a TED Talk video from Barry Schwartz, who has some very interesting thoughts about organizations. And he reminded me that back when organizations were being established and put together, the prevailing thought at that point in time was, 
we need to put together an organization that will help us become efficient and effective because, now listen to this, because workers are lazy and they do not want to work. So the modern organization, even the organizations that we have now, were born out of the concept that people are generally lazy and they don't want to work. And in fact, if you go into the early 1900s, most of modern management, and which led to modern leadership, uh, starting with Frederick Taylor and some other folks, comes from the standpoint of, and we can incentivize people with money in order to help them produce more. And now, let, let me back off from that for just a second and say, the intentions were good because at that point in time, people did not have a lot of money and money helped them buy a lifestyle that they couldn't have otherwise. So it wasn't the intention was bad. It's just that the idea of incentivizing people, paying in order for people to work and to encourage them to work was the predominant way we motivated people. Now, a lot has changed since then, and we all know that. And we've just spent a day, you know, a couple of days here talking about how there's so much more to work than that. But I want us to think about our organization and the frustrations that we sometimes feel within our organizations that they come from a very real and, in a sense, purposeful place from 100 or 200 years ago. And sometimes that drives us to wonder, why can we not change this organization? And in addition, our leadership practices come from those places as well, on the premise that people are motivated by money. And so these things got built into the organization. And I'll bet if you thought for just a minute, you could think about something that happens in your organization today, whether it's a policy, a procedure, an approach to doing something, the way people manage and lead that has its roots in some of that old thinking. And I just want to set that as the framework because what that tells us is that this is tough to change. Organizations do not change easily and they do not change readily. If some of this has been going on for 100 or 200 years, I think that makes the point. So where, so where do we want to go from here? We don't want to go there. We want to go to the objectives of today. And I want us to take a look at this and, and know that we want to identify some of the traits of compassionate cultures. Now, in Katrina's session, some of those actually came out. So that's good. We're already there. Secondly, I want you to think about building your circle of influence. Circle of influence is a concept that came out of Stephen Covey's work on the seven habits of highly effective people. Um, I want to revisit that and put it into today's um, workplace. I want to look at doing a SWOT analysis, a very quick SWOT analysis with all of you into your separate breakout groups. 
that will help you look at your organization and get feedback from other people who are working in different organizations. And we'll find, I think, that we share a lot more and we're a lot more similar than we are different, that will help us as we try to create compassionate leadership within our organizations. And of course, at the very end of it, like we've done with every other block, we wanna be able to apply the learnings. We wanna be able to apply uh, some sort of an action plan. So with that in mind, we'll move forward. And I, I wanna make mention of a couple things here because influencing is the key word. If you are in an organization like I am, and unless you're running it totally and you have nobody working for you, it's just you, the best that you really have is influence. You do not necessarily have complete ultimate power to make all kinds of changes to your organization. I know that you all know that because I know that we want to and we've tried and we've tried to make some of these things happen. And sometimes we are successful and sometimes we're not. But here's a couple points. One, we don't control our organizations. We only have some influence. But compassionate leadership isn't about necessarily the organization as we've discovered over this past day and a half. It's about you. It's about what you do on a regular basis. So the good news is, is that it's happening. The minute you decide to do something more compassionate, it's happening. And that leads us to our second point here. And that is that organizations do not change because we want them to change. Organizations don't change because we want them to change. Organizations change when we change. And arguably, when other people in our organizations change along with us. And arguably, when we get to a point where we have a critical mass of individuals who are thinking, believing, and behaving in a particular manner. And by the way, critical mass doesn't mean that it has to be a majority. Sometimes critical mass is a small group, but they become very influential to the organization. So as we're going forward, we're looking at this and I'm saying, thinking your work from these days uh, and today into the immediate future really should be about you, but with the organization kind of in the back of your head where you're thinking, okay, here's what I'm doing today. Here are those non-negotiables that Katrina had us look at. How can I influence the organization without beating myself up? without too much consternation on my part, but how can I influence the organization along the lines of those non-negotiables? So let's put, our, put an eye on this organization. What's the impact that compassion can have in the greater organization that you work in? I'm seeing better patient and staff satisfaction. Oh, a magnet to help with staff recruitment. On a, on a different level, developing trust, <laughs> retention. It, that, does that happen to be on everybody's mind right now? Retention, staff development, of course. So, you know, I'm thinking back, as, keep, keep going here, and anybody can interrupt me if, if you wish, but I'm thinking back to what, you know, we talked about with Katrina, and we were talking about, 
you know, as a leader, you, you have goals to accomplish. You still have results that you're supposed to get. And some of those results are in retention. Some of those results are in sat- patient satisfaction. Some of those results are, are in staff satisfaction. And here we are saying that this is important to the overall organization if we can do it big enough. I see positive culture. And I will go back to the idea that, yes, it's hard to change an organization. In fact, I don't know that you can, but you can change yourself and you can be part of the change that would happen in an organization. So, yes, some very good thoughts there. Um, and if you have more, just, just keep those coming. That's great. Um, we want to make sure that, that we capture all of that kind of work. It's been said a few times yesterday and today, but let me reiterate because it's important here. Compassion connects us as human beings. It's one of the things, and I go back to the way organizations were established 100, 200 years ago, when people weren't concerned, or at least the people who were running organizations did not seem to be concerned about human beings per se, other than they thought, if I give them enough money, if they can make money, then they can go ahead and live whatever life it is they wish to live. And What we're involved with right now in our organizations is a different situation because work has become so much more to people than just a a vehicle for making money. And we know that for some people, work is where they socialize. It's where they have their network of friends. There is the feeling of team and teamwork and team playing. Meaning, which is one of the aspects of personal psychological empowerment, becomes very, very important in work. If we're working one third of our lives, essentially, one third of a day, then having meaning during the bulk of that time becomes very, very important. And of course, it's already been mentioned that trust is important. What makes a compassionate organization or how do we know a compassionate organization from one that may not be as compassionate? And and we do that through these things here. And we don't have to go through each one of them as individuals, but there are some really important pieces here. And from that standpoint, the work that you've been doing, when you think about your own individual actions. And I go back to, you can't change an organization, but you can certainly change yourself. And the culmination of a number of individuals, and especially a number of leaders, changing themselves will bring about results to improve the compassion in the organization. That becomes an important point. When we talk about an organization that facilitates empathy and and inclusiveness in diversity. And by facilitating, I think we all know what we mean. When we create environments of trust and safety, and you know, as, as we're going through this list, you may be thinking, well, is that the job of senior leaders or is that the job of me as a leader? And I will once again, go back to 
I'm not sure that you can make senior leaders or anybody else do this. I only think you can make yourself do this and bring it to the forefront and lead by example, as we've talked about, and therefore people begin to see it. And if they like it and if it makes sense, then they jump on board here. And you can read down the rest of those and policies and procedures that we have. Let us be sure and clear of this one thing though. Let's not make the mistake that just because an organization has a policy or a process or a procedure that looks like it's compassionate, that that is all that needs to be done. And that's the demonstration of compassion. I would argue that that's not the level at which compassion truly happens. It's very supportive. We need it to support what we're doing. Our compassion comes through much better when the organization has these attributes that support us. But the organization is not compassion itself. It is not necessarily the purveyor of compassion. Individual human beings are the purveyors of compassion. In the last few minutes that we're going to spend on, on, on block four, I want to do a couple of things. One, I want to give you something that I think is a good takeaway, and that is the circle of influence, which is a concept that comes from Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And if we bring it forward into today's work, the question that it begs is, who in your organization do you trust and who trusts you? In other words, when you look at your colleagues, when you look at staff, when you look at the senior level people, when you look in your organization, who is in that tightest circle, that tightest trust circle for you? And the people who should be there, and it's okay if there's only one or two when you start thinking about this, so don't feel bad about that. But the people who should be there are the people who you trust implicitly and who trust you implicitly. And from a leadership standpoint, it becomes the individuals who say, I will follow you because I know your heart. I know where you're leading us. I may not understand how we're going to get there at this moment. I may not understand exactly what the end goal is, but I trust you because you have not done me wrong before. And from your standpoint as a leader, it should also be, and I know that they will tell me what they need. They will tell me when I'm wrong, when they believe I'm wrong, but they will listen to me and they will, and we can have that conversation. And these are not the people who will go off and try to cause trouble. And then knowing that once you've identified that group, then the question becomes, or the issue is, the action becomes, what do you do about that? First of all, I do not believe that compassionate leadership is something you should be asking your organization. Hey, will you folks up in se at senior level, will you make a decision for us to become a more compassionate leader, throw some money at it, and create a project? I don't believe it comes from there. I don't believe it could be successful from there necessarily. There has to, there's a sincerity that needs to be behind compassionate leadership in order to make it work. Secondly, you right now are the best advocate for compassionate leadership in your organization. We've already talked about 
the importance and the significance of role modeling that. All this is asking you to do is to take it one step further. Yes, role model. Once you feel like you're doing well with that, then move on to who else in this organization, in my close circle, might be able to want to have a conversation about it, might be able to work, spend some time working on it, and maybe help me teach other people about compassionate leadership. So what does this mean? Well, let's look at where in our organizations we might be able to do some of the things that would start to spread compassionate leadership throughout our organizations, the way we communicate, how strong those communication channels are. We've talked so much about rounding and um, new hires. Um, there are other options as well. And, and we should know those and that's fine that, that we do that. Um, but again, back to yourself. Start with your own talking points and what you hope to accomplish based upon all of the training that you've been through yesterday and today. Think about if somebody asks you about the program, what can you tell them about what you've learned or what you're going to be doing differently? And just know, again, as a, as a summary, some of these key points, taking care of yourself, simple, adjustments that you can make, that you can role model. And that it really is about yourself and what you can do. Does this make sense to you that your focus should be more individual than organizationally, but that when you start to focus in the organization, you one, know you need to be the role model of this, and two, you need to st start small within that circle of influence. So Mark, Anne agrees in the chat box with start by being a role model. Okay, all right. You know, I think we've, we, we were all pretty much on, on that train of, of role modeling is really the, the first big step here. And Barbara adds, believe and trust in your sphere of influence. Yeah. Sometimes hard. And like I said before, sometimes it's a small sphere, um, but that's okay. Circle of influence, if you understand the concept, is you start with that small group. And as that group becomes solid, you look for other people who are, might be on the next layer of that sphere to begin to draw them into the process. And when you are doing that, then you're drawing other people into the process. And that's the way you actually get the critical mass in any organization. Understand that not everybody may be ready to make the journey because not everybody's in the same place at the same time. And understand that there may need to be some, a lot of what I'll call it teaching, but I think it's, it's discussion. It's engaging people in conversation about compassion. It's them seeing what you're doing. It's 
As leaders, one of the key things that we can do whenever we're communicating to anybody is make sure we connect the dots. So if we say compassion's important, we can also say, oh, and here's what I did yesterday. So, so that people can see that the activity that goes with it, because that makes it more real for people. So I think one of the cautions is to not to have great expectations right away. I was just thinking of how we can't overemphasize uh, the power of role modeling because I mean, it goes back to trust because the more we role model the behavior of compassionate leadership to our staff throughout the house with other departments, we build relationships with those other departments and they trust. Yes. So uh, we're going through a crisis. We, we talked about this in our small group. We need to understand what that other department we may be asking something of is going through in their day and have compassion for what they may be going through and understand. And then I think that builds trust with that department. And one by one, we build relationships and we build trust throughout the house. It's just part of helping spread this throughout the house. I'll take circle back all the way to the beginning of, of block four and say, because we have set up organizations typically in a siloed fashion, we don't always make those kinds of connections as often as we probably should be doing in order to keep that trust going. And when you build that trust, kind of to your point, then those people become your circle of influence. They become those people that trust you and you trust them because you're walking the talk and so are they. And therefore, change in an organization becomes much easier when you've got that Mm -hmm. group already intact. But it's nothing that you can just say, well, we have a project to improve trust in the organization. So everybody go out there and improve trust. That It doesn't work that way. It takes the time to develop it. And as we know about trust, in order to make sure it keeps going, you have to keep maintaining it. it. Mm -hmm. That's right. If if you don't, it it will fall away. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Healthcare Experience Matters. Healthcare Experience Matters is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation. To learn more, please visit healthcareexperience.org. That's healthcareexperience.org.